Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world. From border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea, I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning in to the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really excited today. My guest is Lisa Nelson. She's the Senior Vice President of Enterprise Integrations at AdVault. And I've been looking forward to talking to Lisa for quite some time, and finally our paths have crossed. Her background includes leading roles in HL7 work groups, co-founding the Gravity Project, Currently, she's heading up the My Directive Solutions Initiative. So from CDAs to FIRE and everything in between, I can honestly say her fingerprints can be found all over the interoperability domain. Lisa, welcome to the Tate Chronicles. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. I look forward to talking with you today. You know, one thing I'm always interested in and I ask my guests is, uh, in your case, Lisa, what led you to the healthcare information technology field? And really specifically, it seems like you were drawn to advanced directives and the social determinants of health. What's the path for you? So and this is a super interesting question. And my, my first response was, well, I was a computer scientist and my mom was a nurse. No. And when you put mm-hmm. those, those two backgrounds together, um, it can't help but lead you towards health information technology. Um, I think my my computer scientist background has caused me to think about how to use technology, information technology, in every aspect of my life. Even as a young person, I I you know used an access database mm. to do my wedding planning and do the seating <laughs> chart and keep track of um, who I needed to send thank you notes out to. Yeah. And when it comes to health, we're all you know mothers, daughters, sons individuals who are taking care of people and families. And so healthcare is a pretty obvious place where health, I, health IT is needed. And, um, and I think that's the same reason why I was really drawn to the topic of advanced directives and social determinants of health is that um, I come at this from a very person-centered, a, a, a people-centered point of view. And when you think about advanced directives as being one of the first kinds of documents that will really be patient authored documents that need to get into our health IT ecosystem. Um, That was what inspired me to look in that direction because I was, um, of course, the person who led the charge when Consolidated CDA was invented at version two to um, force inclusion of a patient authored document, not just clinician authored documents to to be able to take advantage of that standard. You know, that's, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I just was going to say when the last part, the social determinants of health is obviously if we're all aimed on for the, the quadruple aim and trying to make health outcomes better, when you consider that 80% of, of what really makes a difference in getting good health outcomes are the social determinants of health, mm. it makes you realize how important it is to be focused on that, not just the clinical side of things. Well, um, let's just, since you uh, kind of brought up that topic, let's dive into that a little bit, those social determinants of health. Uh, And um, 
certainly in terms of creating health policy and uh, finding uh, trends and and where uh, healthcare funding and, and care needs to be focused, that's got to be a very important information. It's, uh, but in terms of interoperability, I feel like you've done a lot of work to make sure that data, if we're going to call it data or information, is in an interoperable format. Was that difficult to kind of get people to agree to and include in the uh, CCDAs and things? Well, you know, getting people to agree is one of the biggest challenges we have to interoperability. Mm. Um, but focusing on how you code the data is uh, is the other aspect. And I think that um, the biggest challenge we had, at least for patient-generated documents, was more of a of a policy and and a fear <laughs> mm -hmm. to give people that level of um, control and access to be communicating the information that they author back into the system. I think the biggest barriers that we had there were just the sea change that it represented um, and, and fear about the possibilities, maybe how quickly even the pace of change could happen if suddenly um, patient authored documents became a part of the ecosystem. So um, I think I think that um, Coded data is, is really important. Obviously, if you want to include computers to help us process the information, um, we have to have ways to code it. You know, you can't even check an apple out at a grocery store without there being a little sticker on there that tells mm -hmm. you that that apple is a, is a 4907. Right. Um, we need to have codes to work with computers because that's their language. Um, and we also have to have human readability because that's our language. And, and so um, coding data is a necessary evil if we want computers to help us make things more efficient. And I think that that's really, in the social determinants of health space, one of our big challenges because that information was largely just accumulating in a world without this sort of notion of how do we code the information. And um, and, and that was one of the big challenges that we needed to uh, to begin handling. You know, we mentioned uh, in my introduction, I mentioned uh, you being a co-founder of the Gravity Project. I first heard of the Gravity Project uh, a few years back from Amit Trivedi. And he said, Jim, you need to check into that. Uh, and so tell me about the uh, what need was seen that led to the founding of the Gravity Project and what is the Gravity Project? So that's where it all started. The original need, um, it, it stemmed from a grant that was, um, that was given out where an organization did some studying on the domain of SDOH and how many different code systems were used and how inconsistent and uncoded and just sort of the mess that we were up against, which really was a big barrier to being able to crack into interoperability. And so um, the original focus of the Gravity Project was solely on looking at the different domains in the SDOH space and saying what content needs to be communicated and then how do we go about um, beginning to offer codings so that it could the data could be captured and exchanged among systems. And it grew beyond that, you know, not just the number of domains. We started out with um, just three, food insecurity, um, transportation problems and housing. And I think there are over 20 domains that have been studied by the Gravity Project. 
But more importantly, we realized that we had to establish a framework for thinking about how these two big gears interacted together, the, the clinical care uh, gear and then the social care gear. And um, a framework that was established that describes this cyclical or, or um, circular iterative process of evaluating someone's needs, determining that there is an issue, identifying what the goal is to be solved, clarifying the interventions or the actions that need to be taken to address it, getting those actions actually done, and then reevaluating to see if progress was made toward the goal. And then you go again. And, and that cycle of care with how showing how the gear of um, if the intervention that needs to be made is somebody's housing situation needs to be taken care of, how do you turn the mm. social care gear from the clinical care gear and have the, the response or the activity that got performed feed back in and the reassessment to happen? So it was um, that framework was really powerful and it also kind of launched us, the Gravity Project, into the work of understanding closed loop referral. And how do you send information about a need out into another area of the health ecosystem and then get a response back that allows you to know that that activity got done or didn't get done and, and how it feeds into um, assessing if progress is being made. Well, and you mentioned such things as housing. Uh, I'm sure um, there are issues related to if folks uh, live in areas which are essentially food deserts. Um, yep. uh, and so uh, if that information is captured, uh, and um, for lack of a better term, it shows uh, a correlation with um, uh, uh, higher, higher risk, uh, where does that information go? I mean, I guess it's on a community by community basis, if it goes anywhere at all. Uh, you know, the nature of the question, I'm going to, I'll start with the, my, you know, my standards hat on and mm -hmm. the original place that the information goes is it goes from an assessment um, into some clinical observations that mm. need to be referenced and determined if whether or not there's a, a problem that needs to be worked on and then what the goal would be. And so originally the the first part of where the information travels is is from the point of sort of surveying or asking questions and getting answers to the place where the people who can make decisions about well what needs to be done um, can get a, can, can can get access to it and then an evaluation is made to um, in this case by a clinician to decide well do I need to refer someone out do I need to send them to go um, be considered to see if they could be enrolled in a certain program. And there, a lot of the effort um, also stemming out of the Gravity Project is understanding how do we make community directories so that the services that are available that a person could be referred out to mm. can easily be found and the, the communication endpoints for sending information to those community organizations can be identified and then the information can flow to them. Kind of a, a push thing. Um, um, I know that um, I was talking with a <clears throat> excuse me EHR vendor organization of the day that's focused on long-term care, a and so they 
generate what they call a fragility index. So in some ways, that's what you're talking about. It, it may not be gathering all the information and coming up with one discrete number, one to 10 or something, uh, but uh, I think you refer to it as a uh, closed loop referral, where as mm -hmm. opposed to uh, writing out an address and a phone number and a piece of paper and handing it to a patient and say, maybe these people can help you uh, electronically in some way that uh, re desire for uh, resources uh, can be kind of expedited and, and not really require on uh, require the patient or the individual Absolutely. to be totally responsible Absolutely. yeah faster and then also um some efficiency about it like if you know that that three or four or five pieces of information need to be need to be gathered and they've already been collected mm -hmm. then you could supply information that's already been provided to the group that would that would need that information to then deliver the social care services um, so some efficiencies can be gained by being able to share and reuse information that's already been captured. What is the status of the Gravity Project today? Is it is it ongoing? Is it? It is ongoing. Um, you know, I I was instrumental in naming the project the Gravity Project I because it. I imagined a force mm -hmm. that had the power to sort of organize other things and 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 draw efforts to it, draw people to it, draw efforts to it. We've barely scratched the surface on what really needs to be done and and um, operationalized and incorporated into um, the way that we mix our efforts between clinical and social care type activities. And I believe that the Gravity Project is the one place where many, many, many organizations can go who are focused on that, and there's different work groups focusing on different domains, different aspects of the the information exchange that needs to happen to support that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And I I believe the Gravity Project will be uh, will be well attended and producing great results for quite some time. Let's move on to your. Uh, I know you have a number of current. Uh, initiatives, but one in particular I want to hear about is the work you're doing at My Directive Solutions. What's being addressed there? So, um, similar to Gravity Project, one of the most important things that's that's happening there is this ability to codify the information that's exchanged. Mm -hmm. So, at a very fundamental um, level, My Directives and um, AD Vault. It's actually pronounced AD Vault, mm -hmm. the A for Advance and the D for for Directives. Um, uh, my company is um, instrumental in clarifying the type of the types of information that are gathered, the types of documents that are created, and then working with organizations like Region Street and SNOMED to make sure that um, we have the needed codes to communicate and codify the information so that systems can help us with the exchange and the sharing of that. Um, so we're there, that's one of the exciting things that's going on, and and one of the the things that's really different about the My Directive solution over other solutions that are out there in the space is that um, uh, organizations that are drawn to this area uh, don't have the same technical background that we do to really appreciate how do you make the data ready to be part of the health ecosystem. 
you know, that's the, the question uh, when I first started thinking about this, Lisa, is how do you make it ready? So if, uh, uh, if there's an exchange of a CCDA file, uh, where's that advanced directive and how's it going to be presented? Is it a PDF attachment or is it in a text format? Um, so th that is a that also is a great leading question, Jim. Thanks for these softball pitches. I appreciate it. Well, okay. You have sort of the the where we are today, and right. you have where we're going in the future. Good. And so the specification that we wrote in the CDA world is called PACP, Personal Advanced Care Plan, and it uses mm -hmm. a lot of the sa the same templates or or corresponding templates to what's been developed in the consolidated CDA of templates sure. but what's what's different about it is that um, it's a patient generated document and the sections of information are specific to uh, what you need to include in an advanced directive who are my healthcare agents who am I appointing to make decisions for me if I can't communicate for myself and then what are some of my care experience preferences or treatment intervention preferences so that the people who, if somebody does have to, uh, my healthcare agent does need to decide for me, they have information about what my preferences were so that they could make decisions that are consistent with what my wishes are. And those are very specific um, types of information that needed mm -hmm. to be communicated that weren't really addressed in the original set of templates in consolidated CDA, except for one. There is a template called the Advanced Directive Section. And in a summary document, clinical document, what clinicians or EHRs would want to be sharing in a patient summary or an encounter summary in that Advanced Directive Section would be information about, well, what kind of Advanced Directive documents were available? What did I go and consult or read to understand or take action in my care of this patient? And so the linkage between consolidated CDA and, um, and the efforts that have happened in the, the documentation of a person's own advanced directives or a clinical document, uh, an order, a portable medical order created by a clinician is really the ability to document the story of what information came to me that was already in place about um, that's relevant for this person's care. And what, what did I use? Um, did I need to contact the healthcare agent? Um, did I know who the healthcare agent was? That, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that advanced directive section um, will be undergoing some elevated requirements in the new version of consolidated CDA that's out for ballot in January because, you know, USCDI, the national efforts to raise the, the, floor of what all systems can interoperate on now has three important data elements in the classification that's called patients goals and preferences mm -hmm. and so raising the bar on the expectation that systems will be able to exchange that kind of data means that it, it's going to need the advanced directive section to be present in consolidated cda type of, of documents and that organizations will be expect to be able to document uh, when they know about or, or relevant preferences that patients had. 
Well, in, in the work at um, AD Vault and specifically at my directive solutions, are you working with um, EHR vendors as partners to help them bring them up to speed on this? You know, this is the most important thing that I do in my role as um, enterprise integrations is in order to make all of this work together, the EHR systems need to be able to make it easy for doctors to have access to information that already exists in the system, either documents that patients have created themselves or these portable medical order types of documents that other clinicians may have worked with the patient to create. And so integration within the EHR is like the next um, big step in the journey to be able to um, pull in documents that are available and then really work with the EHRs to understand how to build the, uh, use the available information in their own workflows. So I'm working um, specifically with, you know, all of the major EHRs and, and trying to reach out to more of the EHRs that are used in skilled nursing facilities and um, LTPAC type organizations to, to help them advance their own capabilities because of this new technological capability that's kind of happening outside of them. Um, it's kind of hard to believe, Lisa, but we only have about five minutes left, and I've got five questions. So <laughs> let's <laughs> knock these out. Uh, and uh, th they really are what some of the things I consider challenges at a very high level to uh, uh, interoperability, in particular, not necessarily the plumbing and the standards, but the actual use of it. Um, uh, is the data uh, going to be accurate? Uh, and the, the reason I say that is we've got TEFCA being launched. We had an announcement yesterday, the first qualified health information networks. Depending on who you're signed up with, the data that comes out of those faucets there may be duplication or there may be cases where a perhaps provisional diagnosis is given to a patient uh, for an uh, off-label use of medication so their insurance company will pay for it. Do you have any concerns about the accuracy of, of data? I think we all do. And, you know, as we transition from paper to digital, um, it's a question that we're we're all having to face, no matter what domain you're focused on. And so accurate data has is a, an issue. But we have all new tools. You know, the, the notion of du duplication, being able to find it, identify it, deal with it. We just have a whole set of capabilities that we're going to have that all those problems exist with our paper data that we have today. We mm -hmm. just don't have any means of really dealing with it. So um, the challenges are there, but we just now have the digital technology to help face them. And kind of a follow-up to that, uh, do you think the issue of uh, patient identification across all the networks has been solved? Do we know that? No, no, and it's an absolute showstopper. You know, we served together on the, the um, event that Direct Trust did last week, and there's a great session in there. Maybe you can yes. um, supply users with the link to talk mm -hmm. about digital identity, and it is foundational to everything that happens in the digital world. Uh, next challenge, I kind of wonder about, this is kind of a provider cultural issue, uh, kind of related to the accuracy of data. Will the data be trusted? You know, uh, patient-reported data is not given um, as much uh, uh, veracity as provider-generated data. But what about data from 
that, that comes through uh, one of the qualified health information networks on the, you know, one of the providers on the other side of the country. Uh, um, I know there's a, a lot of uh, lower uh, uh, trust in data that's, you know, received from somebody you don't know. Yeah, yeah. you question? know, I mean, trust is just like another aspect of data accuracy. And I think that um, how people will have confidence that the information that they receive in a digital world is true. We face it every day, even just for you get a phone call or do you trust uh, the text message that you got? Trust is a huge factor. And I think that um, more focus on data provenance and um, digital signature capability that allows us to know if the data has been altered in transit mm -hmm. um, or not. And, uh, and then ultimately known identities of who the data is actually from will help us increase the quality of the mm. trust or confidence factor. That's it, the, the provenance. I agree Yeah, with that totally. Um, uh, next question, uh, who is gonna supply the training to providers of really on interoperability, not only uh, how to receive uh, data, but what to do with that data, you know? Yeah, you know, training needs to come from a lot of places. And I bring this up when we talk about um, the charge that we're given to the regional um, uh, education centers. Um, the training has to come from all over because you need different kind of training for different audiences. Consumers need to be trained, doctors need to be trained, um, administrators need to tra be trained, um, uh, uh, training in all areas. Uh, being in the education aspect of this would be a very good place to be for a while because so much is new, so much is changing, and that means we need more focus on education. Lisa, before we totally run out of time, how can our audience find out more about AD Vault? my directive solutions and any of the other organizations that you've mentioned that we need to check into? Sure. Um, the easiest thing to do is to go to mydirectives.com. That is a one-stop shop. You'll be able to be exposed to the consumer-facing um, free for consumer use mydirectives.com tool where people can create their own advanced directive documents. Hmm. And um, and that will also give you a link to AD Vault Inc., our corporate site, advaultinc.com. Well, to our audience, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Take Chronicles. And I offer a special salute to my guest today, Lisa Nelson of AD Vault. Lisa, thanks for coming aboard today. Thanks for inviting me, Jim. It's been a great cruise. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, he's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.